This week's Torah content has been sponsored by the Fishbines, who enjoy reading the sponsorship messages every week in honor of Chen and Max's wedding and with a tefillah for a lasting peace in Israel. Hello, I'm Rabbi Matt Schneeweiss, and this is the Stoic Jew Podcast, where we explore the relationship between Judaism and Stoicism. And today is Purim, and it is also my 603rd day of my gratitude journal. I wanted to make an episode on the 600th day, but uh, that was this past Shabbos, and I figured I would just save it for Purim because I have some reflections on the relationship between Purim and gratitude. So let's start the way we usually do on these gratitude milestones, which is to briefly recap what my practice is. Uh, this idea came from my friend and Chavrusa Levi Salomiak, who got it from Tara Brach. And the practice involves writing an email to a friend each day in which you write three things that you're grateful for, one moment of savoring, and then one act of, of uh, chesed or tzedakah, one act of kindness or, uh, or righteousness. And uh, it can be one sentence, uh, or it could be a paragraph, it could be whatever you want, and the, the whole thing is that you have to send it to someone else. Uh, and uh, we've done this for 603 days, <laughs> and it has changed my life. Uh, I will link the episodes of the other gratitude milestones in the show notes, but what I usually do is I talk about the the I guess the change that I've noticed most within the past hundred days. So I think the change that I've noticed the most this time around is that certain things I used to not be grateful for eventually morphed into things I was reluctantly grateful for. And then finally into, uh, how would I put it? <laughs> into, how would I put it? Not blank spaces. I guess things, yeah, let me give you an example and then I'll talk it out. So, so as, as the longtime listeners of this podcast know, I have struggled with insomnia in various forms, uh, for the last, uh, around three years. And usually the insomnia takes the form of waking up in the wee hours of the morning and then not being able to fall asleep. Uh, it has gotten better as of late, but, uh, there are still bad nights. So when I first started the gratitude journal, then I, was just not grateful for the nights of insomnia. Okay, then I don't know at what point in how many how many hundreds of days, but I eventually started writing about writing entries like I am grateful for my insomnia last night because it allowed me to have extra time to read or extra time to learn or extra time to prepare in the morning, and that went on for a while. Um, and then what I've noticed is. You know, I, I I started writing those in kind of a a little bit of a resentful tone, like I was overtly trying to take something negative and then put a positive spin on it. But then eventually, my mind and my emotions shifted, and I started just being grateful for the extra time that the insomnia afforded me. And I eventually stopped mentioning the insomnia as a negative even. And it's not just a question of what I wrote. It's a question of the way that my mind framed the thing, that I actually was relating to these things as as positive and not positive in the sense that I would choose them. Like I would not choose to have insomnia, but positive in the sense that it is what it is. Like if I, if I had a night where I, uh, where I had a horrible quality sleep, I'm much quicker to just accept that and then to embrace whatever good comes from it. And that's been really great. And in fact, the most recent example was last night. And I have a history of, of not sleeping well on the night of Purim, meaning, meaning the night of the, uh, you know, uh, after the Megillah reading. The reason why is because usually we have, you know, we have the Megillah reading, which uh, is, you know, fairly late in the evening. And then we have the Yeshiva Chagiga, which is a, uh, 
about a half an hour drive away. And then we have the uh, yeshiva skits in yeshiva. And usually this lasts until like 12 at night. And then I get home and I'm all, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> combination of, of eating late for the breakfast and uh, and the excitement and the walking and the lights and all that other stuff. And the fact that usually my bedtime, I start winding down ideally at 9, 9.30. So it's really late. And oftentimes it'll take me hours to get to sleep. And uh, sometimes, like last night, I did not sleep at all, uh, just tossed and turned. And that's the really bad insomnia. That's the kind that like, you know, that uh, I, I think my insomnia is the uh, my normal insomnia is the is the lesser of two evils where I, I do fall asleep and then I just wake up and then uh, wake up earlier than I intend. But but last night was was uh, was full full on insomnia, no sleep at all. And yet. Uh, I woke up today or even last night, I had a much, much easier time just accepting that fact. And then when I woke up today, then I was in a good mood. And I know for a fact that it is a result of the gratitude journal, because I know that I've had this problem for years. And, uh, I think just the, uh, it's the practice of framing these things in positive ways that has made a difference. And, uh, I am grateful for the uh, gratitude journal practice. Okay, so that's that's insight number one. But now let's go to Purim because I was thinking about tr- how to make a an episode that ties in gratitude to Purim. And the first thing I thought of was Haman because Haman is really the antithesis of gratitude. And I think this is displayed in many ways, but I think the, uh, the, the best, uh, the most explicit example of this is when he is bragging to his wife uh, and his friends. So... If you go to the Megillah, Megillus Esther, in uh, chapter 5, uh, verses 10 through 14, which I'm just going to read the English from Imo Novetsi's uh, translation on Allah Torah. Um, so uh, this, is, um, this is between the first and the second parties. Haman restrained himself and came to his house. He sent and brought to him all his supporters and his wife, Zeresh. Haman recounted to them all his glorious riches his, and his many sons and all about how the king had promoted him and how he exalted him above the king's officers and servants. Haman said, Queen Esther did not even bring with the king anyone to the feast which she prepared except for me. And tomorrow too, I am invited to her with the king. Yet all this is worthless to me every time I see that Mordecai the, Ju- the Judean, every time I see Mordecai the Judean sitting at the king's gate. Okay, so... Um, so again, I, this is uh, I, I'm not focusing exclusively on that, on that verse. This is really evident from Haman's character, but Haman is a man who has an unbridled ego and ambition and is operating in a what what my Rebbe, Rabbi Moskowitz, uh, Zichron Livracha, called a relative value system, a value system in which he measures his own worth relative to others. And that is why he's so upset when one person does not acknowledge his, uh, his own uh, superiority that he believes about himself, uh, Mordechai. And not only does he get upset, well, so uh, the Royal Bog uh, comments on this, and he says, uh, all of this is not worth anything to me. Wrote to Lomar, meaning to say, all of this honor and this greatness is not worth anything to me in exchange for the anger that I am angry about Mordechai the Jew when I see him that he does not submit himself to give me honor. So that's one interpretation of the Raw Bog. The second one is he says, O Shekol Mo'ioli, Mirov Paulus, Al Asherli, Al Mordechai Birosi Eno Or all of this honor does not benefit me due to the 
the great agitation, emotional agitation, hipa'alus, that I have about Mordechai when I see that he doesn't submit himself to me. So, so the Rabag is in, is, uh, is in doubt whether the thing that prevents Haman from, uh, from uh, enjoying everything that he has, uh, w- whether the emotion is specifically anger, and he's saying that I am angry at Mordechai, and the anger overshadows and overpowers all of the, uh, the, the, the enjoyment I get out of my status, uh, or if it's just the agitation itself, the fact that he, 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 uh, you know, he, he, he can't uh, control the fact he can't dictate to Mordechai to give him honor. I'm not exactly sure what the nature of the Robag's doubt is, but one thing is clear is that, you know, if uh, if Haman were so uh, were were truly so great, he wouldn't be so easily affected by Mordechai. And this brings me to. You know, to the uh, to the Stoic part of the Stoic Jew podcast, which is, uh, I mean, and I could quote from many, many passages in Epictetus about this, but the two that came to my mind are in the Enkite reading in the Handbook, Chapter Five. Uh, it is not circumstances themselves that trouble people, but their judgments about those circumstances. Therefore, whenever we are hindered or troubled or distressed, let us never blame others but ourselves. That is our own judgments. The uneducated person blames others for their failures. Those who have just begun to be instructed blame themselves. Those whose learning is complete blame neither others nor themselves. And then also in the Enchiridion chapter 20, remember that the insult does not come from the person who abuses you or hits you, but from your judgment that such people are insulting you. Therefore, whenever someone provokes you, be aware that it is your own opinion that provokes you. Try, therefore, in the first place not to be carried away by your impressions, for if you can gain time and delay, you will more easily control yourself. So Haman is definitely a person who is carried away by his impressions, who believes that Mordechai is the cause of all of his unhappiness. And it's just an amazing example of how opaque the Russia, the wicked person is to self-knowledge and, and to the realization that, that all of this, you know, this, uh, this, uh, these terrible feelings and, and, and this pain and this anger really stems from his own premises and his own, his own value system, where he is judging his own worth based on other people, acknowledging it, uh, where he is trying to control things that are outside of his control, uh, like Mordecai, where he is operating in a world where where he he doesn't want to face objective reality, and someone like Mordecai HaYehudi, who who refuses to bow down to a, to Avodazara, to idolatry, as the sages say, uh, you know, uh, he, he can't stand the fact that Mordecai will will pledge allegiance to this objective reality, um, uh, at, at, even at the cost of his own life, uh, whereas. Uh, Whereas Haman is trying to just prop up this subject of reality, uh, and uh, and you know the, the presence of a Mordechai. Not only does Mordechai not give honor to him, Mordechai poses a challenge to his whole modus operandi of of how he relates to decisions and reality in general. Um, so uh, it, it's just a, a remarkable example of how, first of all, of how un, un how far removed Haman is from the Stoic ideals, uh, and also just the fact that that you know he is he has so he, Haman has. From any objective onlooker standpoint, so much to be grateful for. I mean, he lists all the things they should be grateful for, and yet he he believes that Mordechai's refusal to acknowledge him invalidates that. All right? But someone who's operating in an objective framework would realize that that no, all of this stuff that I have is beneficial, and I should be thankful for this. And the fact that there is something else that I can't control that I that I want but can't have that in no way has any bearing on the stuff that I do have. Uh, and I think that's been another effect of this gratitude journal, for me at least, is 
is it has reinforced this uh, this fundamental stoic distinction and fundamental uh, distinction in Michelet of constantly evaluating what is in my control and what is not in my control and focusing all my energy on things that are in my control and realizing that the, that the things outside of my control that I cannot get uh, don't diminish the good of the things that I do have and that I uh, that I have been granted. Um, and I think that's that that dichotomy of 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 realizing what's in your control and what's not is really what makes gratitude possible. And also realizing how many of the things that we have come to us from Hashem, not through uh, things that we that we control. You know, that we we can't take credit for this. We can't say that my strength and the might of my own hand made me this wealth. Okay, uh, I apologize, by the way, if the uh, if if uh, this episode is a little bit more rambly than usual. But as you uh, heard, I did not get any sleep last night, so I'm going to use that as an excuse, not in my control. <laughs> okay, the last thing I want to talk about is uh, is providence. <laughs> okay, hashgacha. Now I've said from the very beginning of this podcast that I'm really not interested in the stoic. Uh, the the stoic metaphysics. I know that there are people who who will say that that I cannot fully learn the stoic ethics without the metaphysics but uh uh let's put it this way i've gotten a lot out of it so far and uh and i have no need to uh to go into stoic uh, metaphysics uh when we have uh, the torah uh and i can rely on the torah's metaphysics nevertheless there are things that the that the stoics write about providence that uh i think either are actually in line with our ideas or can be read in a way I guess as a sort of drush that is in that that supports our ideas. And two passages that come to mind are Epictetus in Enchiridion chapter eight, where he says, "Do not demand that things should happen just as you wish, but wish them to happen just as they do, and all will be well." And then Epictetus in the Discourses, book one, chapter six, sections one and two, it is easy to praise providence for anything that may happen if you have two qualities: a complete view of what has actually happened in each instance and a sense of gratitude. Without gratitude, what is the point of seeing? And without seeing, what is the object of gratitude? So I, I think if we take a look at the Megillah, we see that uh, that Mordechai, and especially Esther, was really, uh, really had to operate on this principle of, of, again, drawing this fundamental distinction between things I can control and things I can't control, focusing all of her her chachma, her her wisdom, her strategizing into making decisions in the area that is within her control, and then turning to Hashem for those areas that are not in her control. Uh, and I think the line that expresses this most is when Mordechai persuades her to act, and Mordechai says, "Kiim hacharish takrishi ba'isa hazos revak v'hatla yamu la'yehudim imakam acher ve'at uves avif tovedu umiyodea im la'is hazos hikat lamachus." So Mordechai says. Uh, that if, if you will indeed remain silent at this time, relief and salvation will arise for the Judeans from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Who knows if for such a time as this you attain royalty? So I, I've made an episode about this as well, about the fact that uh, that one of the themes of the Megillah is that we we can't know how God works um, in terms of, uh, and uh, you know, it's a very dangerous game to try to to anticipate and to know for sure that this is divine providence, uh, individual divine providence, unless you have a prophecy. And Mordechai is saying, who knows if you reach this position of, of, uh, of kingship for such a time, but you have to act based on what knowledge you have. And, uh, and you are in a position right now where you can act and it is reasonable to act. And yes, there's a risk, but you have to take that risk. And, so what does Esther do? So she she goes and she decrees 
אהההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההה
this is a unique position in, in I don't know about unique uh, in the world, but but something that is uh, is an outstanding thing that Judaism does, which is that the more you learn about about the 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 full picture, then the greater gratitude that you can have. I mean, we see this in Tehillim a lot, also because so much of Tehillim of Psalms is is David Melch, King David. Writing about the the wonder the wondrous world and the creation that God made, and seeing what man's place is in that, and then that itself fosters gratitude. In other words, gratitude is not just a matter of of you know God does a miracle that violates the laws of nature and saves you. Gratitude is something that stems from seeing the entire view of what the universe is, what God's relationship to it is, and what man's place is in that universe. And then just seeing how we are uh, a recipient of such great constant goodness. And, and that's what makes the, the, uh, you know, the miracle of Purim a, a special instance of something to be grateful for, because unlike the miracles of Pesach, where it was involving open miracles that were very flashy, then uh, these miracles require, in order to even see that this was a miracle, you need to have this knowledge of the full picture and uh, and and understand, you know, the, the Torah's way of life is, is exemplified by Mordechai and Esther. And then the what happens when you you don't go on the Torah's path is exemplified by, uh, by, by Haman and Ahasuerus. And then you see... God's hand in uh, in the events, even when there are no explicit miracles. Yeah, again, sorry, this is uh, not the most coherent uh, episode of uh, of the Stoke Jew podcast, but I told myself I would make uh, uh, a Purim gratitude episode, and I hope uh, this was of some value. Um, I guess that is it for today's episode. Um, I. Uh, you know, I I, uh, I thought I was going to get back into the uh, into the routine of making these episodes, but. Uh, didn't happen yet, so we'll see what happens going forward. Uh, uh, I have to find my rhythm again. But that is it for today's episode. Uh, if you've gained from what you've learned here today, please consider contributing to my Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Alternatively, if you would like to make a direct contribution to the Rabbi Shneweiss Torah Content Fund, my Venmo is at matt-shneweiss, and my Zell and PayPal are matt-shneweiss.gmail.com. Even a small contribution goes a long way to covering the cost of my podcast and will provide me with a financial freedom to produce even more Torah content for you. If you would like to sponsor a day's or a week's worth of content, or if you are interested in enlisting my services as a teacher or tutor, you can reach me at rabbishnewas.gmail.com. Thank you to my listeners for listening. Thank you to my readers for reading. And thank you to my supporters for supporting my efforts to make Torah ideas available to everyone. And if you're listening to this on Purim or Shushan Purim, then have a happy Purim.